In Hebrew culture, there is known what is called a Hasidic saying. They are words of basic wisdom. One such saying contains this wisdom. There are three ways in which a man expresses his deep sorrow. The lowest level, he cries. At the second level, he is silent. And at the third level, he knows how to turn his sorrow into a song. At the third level, he knows how to turn his sorrow into a song. Jesus came and Jesus died and he rose again because he wants to take the song of sorrow that we have because of sin and guilt and shame and turn it into a song of deliverance. He wants to turn our song of sorrow into a song of His joy. And Isaiah chapter 53 speaks directly to that. It is called the servant passage. So called because it presents the Lord Jesus as the servant whom Isaiah saw in prophecy some 2,000 years before Jesus came as that one who would come as our servant to bear our sin in his body on the cross for us. It explains what will happen to Jesus from what we would call a doctrinal perspective, not just the physical aspect of him dying, but exactly what was happening from God's perspective when he died. How God took our sin and all of the ramifications of it, the guilt, the shame, the regret, you name it, and dumped it and placed it on His Son. And as Paul said, in those moments on the cross, He became sin for us who know no sin that you and I might be made right with God. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Prophet Isaiah writing here says, Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him, speaking of Jesus, like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And I want us to focus on the first part of verse 4. Surely He has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. My sermon outline is contained in your bulletin. Follow along, if you will. Surely. The conjunction that He uses there emphasizes, in the Hebrew language, the unexpected. Surely He has bore our griefs. And why is that unexpected? Well, first of all, it's unexpected 
that Jesus would love us so much, the Son of God would care about us so deeply that He would carry all of our sin upon Himself. When you think about that Jesus loves us so much, so intensely, that everything that we have said, thought, and done that displeases God, He loved us enough to take that upon Himself and to take the punishment and the separation from God upon Himself. That's not something we would expect Him to do. We get so used to it because we've heard the message over and over and over again, but the idea of that is that is totally unexpected. But the other aspect of it being unexpected is if you had been there that day and looked at the cross and watched Him bleeding and dying and suffering, and it looked like He was totally defeated, and that the people who were spitting upon Him and rejecting Him commanded the hour, it was totally unexpected that He was really in control. It looked like he wasn't in control, but in reality, he was in control. In fact, as he moved to the cross, Jesus repeatedly referred to it as my hour, my hour, my hour. It was his hour, not their hour, because he knew what he was doing. He was totally in control as he took the sin upon him, as he took the punishment upon him, as he yelled out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Surely, unexpectedly, he's done what? He has done it. In the Hebrew language of Isaiah 53, it's what's called an emphatic pronoun. He and no one else. Why was it Jesus and no one else? Because Jesus and Jesus alone could do what he did on the cross. No one else could do it on the cross but Jesus. He and He alone was the Son of God. He and He alone had the purity to do it. Back in the book of Genesis, when Cain was told of his punishment for killing his brother Abel, he cried out, My punishment is greater than I can bear. And sooner or later, all of us are going to cry that out. Our punishment is greater than we can bear so surely he and he and no one else bore the punishment for us that we couldn't bear. He did what? He bore it on himself. He was strong enough to bear it upon himself. His purity, his goodness, his courage, he alone was capable of bearing all of our sin upon himself. If you had grown up in the village of Nazareth where Jesus grew up, you would have known that he worked in the carpenter shop. And one of the aspects of Jesus working in that carpenter shop as a young boy and maturing into a teenager, they didn't have machinery back in those days. So when the logs came in and when the planks and the two-by-fours and all of that were being hewed out, he had to carry that wood on his shoulders. And if you had been a resident of Nazareth, you would have gone by that carpenter shop day after day, and as you looked in there and as you watched the wood coming in and out of the shop, you would have seen a boy grow into a young man who day after day was carrying the load on his shoulders. And you would have probably have thought to yourself, particularly as you watched him grow up, Joseph's son, Jesus, has shoulders that are wide enough and strong enough to carry what's being placed on him. And God was preparing him 
And that was a picture of what he would do someday in that his shoulders are wide enough to carry our sin. You see, some of you that are listening to me this day, you're afraid to get close to God and you're afraid to pray and you, you sort of pull back from the things of the Lord because you say, I've, I've screwed up too much, I've messed up too much. I can't tell you how many people have said to me through the years, Pastor, I've gone too far. We had a 15-year-old out on our mission project this week that told one of our workers, I've, I've messed up too much, I've gone too far. And what I want to say to you is you've never gone too far because his shoulders are wide enough to take whatever it is that you've done and you've messed up. It is a lie of Satan that tells us that we've gone too far and we've sinned too much. But may I also say to you, that if you look at yourself in the mirror or other people look at you and they bring the sin back up in your face all the time, that is just, again, a work of the devil to try to convince us of how messed up we are because if the sin comes back up to you and people say to you and you say to yourself, well, I did this and I did that and I did the other, yeah, maybe you did. But Jesus died for you and his blood is powerful enough to cleanse you. And your identity is not tied to the sin and the failure of the past. Our identity is tied to Jesus and what Jesus did for us and what Jesus has done in our lives. Who am I? I am not defined by my sin. Who am I? I am not defined by my failure. I am not defined by the mess up. Who are you in Christ? You are someone who's been delivered. You are someone who has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You and I are someone who can look on the cross and say, He took it on the cross. He has bore our griefs on himself. And notice the words that he uses there. It says he has bore our griefs. It's a fascinating Hebrew word. It means to be in mental anguish about something. Jeremiah said the heart is desperately wicked and who can know, know it? The hymn writer said I'm prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. He has bore what? He has bore our griefs. He has bore our mental anguish. You know, one of the worst aspects of sin is when we begin to wrestle day after day, hour after hour, with the mental anguish of it, the guilt of it, the shame of it, the regret of it. We relive what we did over and over and over again. We keep wishing I could go back and straighten out that relationship if I could just relive that time in my life. That's that mental anguish that comes with sin. You see, sin has pleasure for a season. Oh, we enjoy it while we're doing it. But then after it's over with, we keep looking back on it and we keep saying, man, I wish I hadn't done that. And we wrestle with it and we struggle with it. He bore that. He took the mental anguish of our sin upon himself. I've heard people say that we're young. I feel so old. And why is that? Because sin ages the soul. Sin ages the soul. He bore our griefs, the mental anguish. He bore, he says, our sorrows. The word there, sorrows, is the idea of a slow burn that reduces something to ashes. Have you ever seen a campfire that you put a log on and the fire may be bright but by morning, it's all just ashes left over. That's the idea of this word here of sorrows. It's sin reduces our lives to just cold, lifeless ashes. 
doesn't even carry a resemblance of what it once was. And it says that he bore that. He took that. One of the most famous religious pieces of art is Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper. And when da Vinci went to paint that beautiful piece of artwork, He knew he had to get someone really special to be the model for the central figure of Jesus. He said, I must find a young man of pure life before I can get that look on the face that I want. And so he searched throughout the city of Rome to find a young man who would be perfect and would look to have the purity of Christ. And in the choir of one of the old churches of Rome, he found a young man named Petro Beninelli. He had a beautiful face. He glowed with that purity that he was looking for. And Da Vinci said, at last I have found the face that I wanted. And he painted the face of Christ. Years passed and he continued to work on the painting and he came to the last character, the character of Judas. And he began again to search in the streets and he said, I need a face that's hardened and distorted and debased with the ravages of living a wicked life in order to capture who Judas was. And one day in the streets he bumped into a man. He was a beggar in rags. His face was hard. It looked villainous. It was distorted. Da Vinci said, I have found the repulsive countenance that I was looking for. And when he finished painting the face of Judas from this person, he looked at the man and he said, by the way, what is your name? And the man responded, It's Petro Bananelli. I posed for you years ago when you painted the face of Christ. You see, that man's face bore now the results of sin. And that's why Jesus took our sins and our sorrows and our grief so that he could change the song, so that he could restore us, and so that we might be able to sing, for nothing good have I whereby your grace to claim I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. 
at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. But drops of grief can never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away it's to all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Folks, the issue is not how much we've sinned. The issue is not how much sin's ravages have taken a hold of our lives. The issue is, have we met him at the cross? Have we come to that place in life and we've said, Jesus, would you cleanse me? Would you forgive me? Would you set me free? Would you deliver me? And Jesus, would you place in me that song of deliverance? Lord, would you turn my sorrow into your song so that I can sing about what you have done in my life, so that my life is a song of what you have done in my life. And folks, sometimes we also, that we know him and walk with him, but we get all burdened down with life. We get all messed up in life. We get overwhelmed with our problems and we start saying, well, you know, life's going this way and life's going this way and I don't have this and I don't have that and we get so discontented and we just need to go back to the foot of the cross and say, you know, whether I got the car I like or the house I like or the place in life or the status I want or whatever else, I got the most important thing in life and that is that I've been set free by Jesus, I've been delivered by Jesus, I've been claimed by Jesus and I know Jesus and that is the most important thing in life. In fact, when life is over and done, well, that's really all that counts. But that's what counts every day that I know him. I may have told you this story before. I can't remember. I was in a conference years ago with Dr. Charles Fuller, who at that time was pastor of First Baptist Church of Roanoke. And he shared with a bunch of us that he had been on a mission trip in the Philippines. And he was laying in his bed one night. And he began to think about the day that Jesus saved him. And he said, I found a tear coming down the side of my face. And he looked at us and he said, gentlemen, when was the last time you cried just thanking God that Jesus had saved you? He bore our griefs and our sorrows. He is the burden bearer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you took for us on the cross. And now, Lord, as we take some simple symbols of that, bread that reminds us of your body broken for us, juice that reminds us of your blood poured out for us, thank you, Jesus, for saving us. Thank you for delivering us. Lord, thank you that by repentance and turning from our sin and turning to you, Lord, we can know that new song you want to give us. In your name we pray, amen.